Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau. Life is full of ups and downs, but what if those downs takes you completely off track? Today, we're fortunate to have a very special guest to help us get perspective on this topic. Here's First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun with the introduction of Kay Warren. We are very grateful this weekend because one of the ways God says you're going to be okay, he sends us certain friends to encourage us and give us perspective on, on his word to us, on his love to us. And we are very fortunate that we have with us this Sunday Kay Warren. Kay and her husband Rick started Saddleback Community Church many years ago, and by God's grace, it moved from a small church into one that's over 22,000 people today. But the neat thing about this church is that it's very committed to people as individuals. They don't see them as numbers, but they want to create a genuine, authentic, healthy place, and that's what Kay has done and and Rick have done. And so we come here seeing that this wonderful church has equipped the local church in so many ways. They they created Celebrate Recovery uh, to help those with with hurts and hang-ups and and for some uh, addictions. they, they created a peace plan to help the poor. Uh, Rick wrote Purpose Driven Life, which sold tens of millions of copies. And, um, and the Lord is, is bringing them into always new ministries. And so we have Kay here today uh, to really be a beacon of light, a beacon of hope. It has a special word for us all, especially for those of us who are facing some challenges. So please give a very warm welcome to Kay, who's with us for the whole weekend for Hawaiian Islands Ministries. Please greet Kay Warren. Thank you. It is wonderful to be with you today. Thank you to Pastor Dan and Pam and to be with you here at First Pres. Um, It's just been a delight. You know, from what I understand, it's been quite the year here in Hawaii. Um, Is that right? I mean, it feels like this has been a rather, mm, what's that word, hellacious year. Uh, I think you started it off in January with this thought that you're all going to die. And honestly, I don't know, the rest of us are like in awe of you that you managed to make it through those 38 minutes. And I'm sure it actually, I mean, I'm kind of laughing, but let me tell you something, it had to have left some some deep fears and anxieties, and, and I, I, I don't get it, but I, re, I relate to you and I identify with you and I, I feel for you. And then you've had a little bit of volcanic activity, I understand, and have a little bit of a new island over, you know, on Hawaii. And um, there's been um, hurricane and some flooding and some fires, and now you've got another hurricane heading your way. My goodness, you guys, uh, that is a lot. This stuff just keeps coming. And that doesn't even start to get to the place of in your personal lives where stuff keeps coming, where there's maybe some chaos and some upside-down things and the ways life has, has hit you in, in chaotic ways and ways that you were not expecting at all. And I don't know, it, it can get to that place sometimes where you can feel rather helpless and, if we're honest, a little bit hopeless. I think of um, the Apostle Paul. I I really was thinking of who do I know who feels like has had some of the experiences that you all have experienced here in in the last year. And I thought of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 27. He says, I have been in prison more often 
I have been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. There, three times I was shipwrecked. One night I spent an entire night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced, faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced dangers from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked long and hard, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then in Romans 8, 35, 37 to 39, he goes on to tell a few more things. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, he said, that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you had an outline in front of you in those verses and you could go through, you could highlight there are about 17 different either entities or causes or sources of distress that Paul listed that he had gone through or that he projected might happen to him. I mean, that's a lot of suffering that he says, I've already endured or is still ahead of me. But Paul makes this astounding statement. He says that none of those things, death and hardship and beatings and shipwreck and snake bites and um, being cold and being hungry and being naked, he says none of those things are going to separate me from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. And, you know, there have been some moments in my life in which I thought, well, that's great for Paul. He's somebody that's in the Bible, he's a historical figure, but I don't know that I can make those same statements. You know, when the wheels have fallen off the bus in my life, I'm not sure that I can make those statements. And some of you might be sitting here today with that, a similar kind of thought. Yeah, that's great for Paul. But you know what? The wheels have fallen off the bus in my life. I am facing some things that I don't know what to do with. I'm facing some things that are so painful and are so hard and I'm struggling And I'm not sure that I could say that I've got that same kind of hope. And I'm not sure that I feel like I've got help in my life. So I want to just tell you just a little bit about me and where this, I start to then apply this into my own life. And then you can also maybe keep track of of your own self when I describe some of these things. When I was a very small child, I was sexually abused. I was molested by the son of our church janitor where my dad was the pastor. And it affected me. It affected me in such profound ways. It broke me. It broke me in ways that I didn't even know how to articulate for such a long time. Some of you may have experienced sexual abuse or molestation or assault. Maybe you were in a home where there was some violence. Maybe there was um, either violence against you or you witnessed violence against other family members. Maybe your family was full of, of mistreatment in a variety of ways. And we know that those kinds of things that happen to children, particularly smaller children, um, before we even really know how to process, deeply affect us and affect our view of life. I've had breast cancer and melanoma. And if I hadn't gotten treatment, I would be dead. I wouldn't be here today. I'm fortunate enough to have gotten the treatment that I needed. But if I didn't, I would be dead. Some of you know what it's like to face 
um, a life-threatening illness. Some of you right now have cancer, or maybe you've just finished treatment, or somebody you love has cancer, or some other really serious health problem, and, and you get this place of how serious illness kind of reduces the world down to this little place of just trying to survive. My youngest son, Matthew, was diagnosed with depression when he was seven. And from there, it just went on for the next 20 years of felt like every year there was some other new diagnosis that was given to him, ADHD and panic disorder, early onset bipolar, suicidal thoughts, major depressive disorder, OCD, borderline personality disorder, body dysmorphic disorder. Oh my gosh, my baby suffered. He suffered so much. And no matter what we tried to do, we couldn't seem to make it better. And some of you may not have mental illness in your family, but you have some other unchangeable circumstance that you can't get to budge. Then you have worked on your marriage. You have worked on that relationship with that person. You've, you've, just, you've done everything you can, that you know to do in a particular situation, and your best efforts just don't seem enough. And you're living with these unchangeable circumstances that can rip at your heart. When Matthew was 27, five and a half years ago, he took his life. He hit that intractable wall of mental illness for the last time, and my baby died. And it was the worst day of my life. It shattered us. It crushed us. It devastated our hearts. Maybe you have not lost anyone to suicide. I pray you have not. I pray you never do. But you've lost somebody. There's somebody that you loved deeply, deeply, And your love was not enough to keep them alive. You loved them and you lost them. You may have lost them through divorce. You may have lost them through death. But you know what it's like to love and lose someone that is so dear to you. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we survive those dark days, those dark times, those dark seasons? Maybe to everybody else it looks like we're doing okay, but we know inside ourselves that we're about to fall apart, that we feel like we're on the edge, that we're sitting on a precipice, and we're going to fall, that the next thing that happens is going to be the thing that sends us over the edge, and we don't know how we're going to survive. Well, studies have shown us that the people who survive, those catastrophic things, those hard things, that that onslaught of situation after situation after situation, that the people who survive and begin to thrive again, they have something very special, and it's called resilience. The Bible word for that is persistence and endurance. But resilience is what seems to separate people. We think it maybe it's maybe if you're really wealthy or maybe if you're really talented or you're you're really gifted or you've made it in life or you've made it in in the world of business or you've made a career for yourself that those are the people who survive and thrive. But actually it has very little to do with your economic status and very little to do with your education status and very little to do with what family you grew up in. It has to do with this thing called resilience. And then you have to ask the question, well, so are some people just more resilient than others? Is there like a resilience gene, and and I didn't get that resilience gene, so yes, she can survive that situation, but I don't know that I can, or he's made it through that situation, but I don't know how I can, and maybe it's just because he or she has a resilience gene that I didn't get. Well, maybe they'll find someday that some people have maybe one leg up on the rest of us, but the good news about resilience What they've learned is that it's a set of skills that can be taught. It is a set of skills that we can learn. 
That's good news to me because that means it doesn't matter what has happened to me, what I've gone through, what background I come from, that I can learn this set of skills that can make me a more resilient person. Let me tell you what resilience means, in case you're not sure. Resilience means able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. It means being strong, tough, hard, buoyant, which means float, irrepressible, flexible, pliable, supple, durable. Some good words for you to look up today. It means these are people who can rise from the ashes. They can bounce back. Well, I don't know about you, but that is encouraging to me to know that I can become a resilient person. I don't have to depend on my genetics. I don't have to depend on my circumstances to become a resilient person, a person of hope and endurance and perseverance, that there are some things I can learn. And I, because of what I've gone through in my life, I want to live a hope-filled life, not a hopeless life. And some of you, as you are sitting and listening here today, and it's floated through your minds already, some of the conditions, some of the circumstances, some of the losses, some of the struggles that you're living with, some of the things where you've been wounded and the places where you've been hurt. And I know that some of you, if you could be really honest, would say, I'm not sure I have a lot of hope today. Maybe some of you have just kind of gone numb. Because to care means you're going to get hurt. And you don't want to hurt anymore, so you let your heart get a little cold. And when your heart gets a little cold, hope also dies. But we don't want to be hopeless. We want to be hope-filled people. And so I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about some ways that you and I can begin to build a more resilient spirit, a more resilient heart, to be able to handle the stuff that comes our way, the stuff that's coming whether we want it to or not. Three things I would tell you. First is this, if you're taking notes, and I saw space in your program, you could take notes if you wanted to. Um, The first thing I would tell you is You and I need to understand that life is harder than we ever thought it would be. Life is harder than you ever expected. I think for those of us who live in the West, those of us who live in the United States of America in particular, have this idea that life should be comfortable, that life should be easy, that things should come easily to us, that things should happen. We look at each other's Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat lives and Facebook lives. We look at movies and we look at TV and Netflix and we see people who live a little bit of fairy tale lives sometimes. And then we look at what we're going through and we look at what we have or don't have or we look at what we're experiencing and that other people don't seem to be experiencing and we start to think they have it easy Why don't I? When the reality is, you guys, that life on this planet is extremely difficult and almost nothing ever comes easy to us. And the sooner that we accept that, Jesus confirmed this in John 16, 33. He says, in this world, you are going to have trouble. I mean, he could have said, in this world, you may have a few hard times. In this world, things are going to be mostly okay. He says, in this world, you are going to have trouble. So when we begin to accept that life here is full of change, it's full of unexpected difficulties, that there are roadblocks, there are obstacles, that things happen when we're not expecting it, when we accept that as normal, we won't be as easily shaken when things shake. We will have a better understanding right off the bat that life here is hard. Second thing I would tell you if you want to learn to develop resilience is that God has given us the resources to actually cope with the fact that life is hard. 
He's given us three resources, and he's given it to all of us. It's, again, not just for a select few. He has given us some resources that are going to make it easier for us to cope with the stuff that happens. John 16, 33. Again, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you can have peace in me. Because in this world, you will have trouble. But be brave. I have defeated the world. Well, that tells me right off the bat that I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this universe. I'm not on my own to figure it out completely. I don't have to go through my daily life feeling like it's just me in the universe. It's just me and my pillow at night when I'm anxious. It's not just me against what everybody else is going through. Man, I'm not alone. I've got somebody with me. And Jesus says that I'm going to give you myself. So when you and I recognize that we can't live this life on our own and we come to God and we say, I don't necessarily understand everything about Jesus, but I realize that he came to be my savior and I want him to be my savior. In a moment, in a heartbeat, you and I have a guide, a mentor, a friend, and we have what we need more than anything else. We have a savior in Jesus Christ. That is the starting place for us to begin to build resilient lives. Many of you have already made that commitment. Jesus Christ is in your lives. You've asked him to be your savior. And you might be minimizing how much he can help you, but he's there. Second, he's given us a new mind as one of the resources that we can cope with the hard stuff that happens in life. When we come to Jesus Christ, he actually gives us a brand new mind that over time he transforms. And we have the ability for the first time in our lives to begin to think God thoughts, to think in the way that he thinks, to see life from his perspective, to see it through his lens. And when our minds over time are transformed more into what the Bible calls the mind of Christ, we start approaching our problems, our pain, our sorrow, our our fears and our anxieties through a different lens. And then he gives us his word. He gives us us his word as a light for our very dark path. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, By your words, I can see where I'm going. Your words throw a beam of light on my dark path. You guys, after my son died, there have been so many, many moments in which I thought, I'm not sure I can survive this, first of all. Secondly, I have no idea what this means for our family. What does this mean for our ministry? What does this mean for me as a person? God, I can't even see the next step in front of my face. We would like it if God would just take one of those, you know, those gigantic lights that they have on airport runways to land planes. Man, they are, they are just full of megawatts. And we want God to shine that kind of megawatt light on the path ahead of us. We want to see how it's all going to unfold. We want to know what's going to happen at this point and what's going to happen then and what's going to happen about this. And we want that kind of light on our path. God does not promise that. He does promise light for the next step. And the next step, and the step after that. And in these last five and a half years, God's word has so often been exactly the light that I needed in my darkness to show me what the next step should be. So God is, he's already started to prepare us for the toughness of life. He's given us a savior, a guide, a friend. He's given us a transformed mind that we can be made into the image of Christ. And he's given us his word so that we have light for the dark path ahead of us. It's not a crystal ball that lays out life in great detail, but it is a reliable 
and invaluable map for the journey through life. The third thing that God has already told us, and these are things that we can apply to becoming more resilient, accept and embrace the fact that life is hard, life is tough, it's full of change, it's full of unexpected ups and downs, that God has loved us so much that he's provided for us a guide and a mentor, he's given us an ability to have a new mind, he's given us the ability to see through his word for life, he's given us this as well, and it's this, I get to choose my responses in life. Now, you guys, that's big. That is big to know that I get to choose and you get to choose your responses in life. I mean, think back with me just to what I said a few minutes ago of the, of the experiences that I've had of, of being molested. I didn't choose that. I didn't ask for that. If you've been molested or abused or assaulted, you didn't ask for that. It's not your fault. And don't let anybody ever tell you that it is. It is not your fault. You didn't have a choice in that. It wasn't your fault if you grew up in a home where there was violence, if you witnessed violence, if you were in combat. So those are not your fault, but they scar us. It's not your fault if you got an illness as I did. That's not my fault that I got cancer. I didn't do anything that brought that on. Some of you are living with cancer and it's not your fault. Some of you have lost a relationship that, again, you did everything you knew to do. You have other circumstances that, that you didn't have any choice over, but they've happened. And some of you that have lost people that you loved, you couldn't stop it. You tried, but you couldn't stop it. Your love was not enough to keep somebody alive. Those are not our choices. You didn't choose where you were born. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose what state or city you were born in. You didn't choose your gender. You didn't choose your ethnic background. You didn't choose what period in history you were born. You didn't choose the economic status that you were born with or grew up with. You didn't choose what innate gifts and abilities you have. You didn't choose your skills. You didn't choose your intelligence. You didn't choose your eye color. You didn't choose your hair color. You may have changed it a million times since, but you didn't choose it to begin with. You didn't choose where whether you lose your hair or keep it. There's so much. You didn't choose your body type. There's so much in our lives that we have no control over. We didn't choose them. But here's this powerful gift that God has given to every one of us. And we all have the ability to choose our responses to the uncontrollable things that come into our lives. You guys, that's freedom. That is liberation. That means that you and I cannot be held captive to disease or disappointment or disillusionment or even death. It means that even those who are living with a severe mental illness or maybe a substance use disorder, those who are struggling to even stay alive and they think there's no choices I can make, I am too far gone. Even that tiny, tiny little choice that just says, help me. Help me. That is a choice. And that becomes our ability to face the things that are going on that we didn't choose. Let me give you six things that I think that are choices that you can make that will help you face whatever you're going through in your life. The first thing that I would say is a choice that you can make in response to your circumstances is first to expand, excuse me, expand your connections. When we're going through hard times, what seems to be one of our natural responses is to isolate. You know, if you're, going through, if you're feeling down or you've been hurt or somebody let you down or, or you're just not feeling good, 
most of us tend to retreat. We go into our caves. We turn off the lights. We shut the doors. We pull the covers over our head. We stop calling people. We stop responding. We stop showing up at optional activities. We might go to work, but man, we are not present. We may show up for our families, but man, we're, we're really not present. We are isolating. And that is a fairly normal response to sadness or depression or anxiety. But if resilient people have learned to push back against that innate desire to isolate and instead go the other direction and reach out and make a phone call and make an attempt and say to somebody, hey, can we, can we go grab coffee or can you talk or you want to go shoot some hoops or can we, can we just go hang out a bit? Can we go to the mall? Can we go, um, you know, um, wh- whatever. They reach out and they say, I want to connect People who are resilient resist the urge to isolate and instead connect. The second thing that I would tell you, a choice that you can make in the circumstances that you're facing, is to believe that with God's strength, that you are capable with God's strength of handling anything. That with God's strength, that you have the ability to handle anything. As a young adult, I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. I wasn't really sure that I could face hard times. There were many, many times as a young mom that I laid in my bed at night, just, you know, me and the pillow and the universe, and had these conversations of what will I do if something happened to one of my kids? What would I do if I lost my husband? What would I do if I got cancer? What would I do? And I filled in all these scenarios of I can't, I could never do it. I could never face that. And yet Philippians 4.13, the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So no, I can't completely on my own, but through the strength that God gives me, I can face anything. I'm capable of handling anything. You and God together can figure it out. You and God and some wise friends can figure it out. You can. You have that capacity. Third thing I would tell you, a choice that you can make is to avoid expecting the worst. It's called catastrophizing. Let me give you an example. And I am a catastrophizer, so I can make fun of it all day long. Um, I can't tell you the times in earlier in my life, particularly as a young person, I would say, I have a headache. Oh my gosh, I have a brain tumor. <laughs> Certain, seriously, that I have a brain tumor. If you're not a catastrophizer, you're like, oh, how stupid. But those of us who are catastrophizers, we get this. You get a message that your boss wants to see you tomorrow, and some of you are like, I'm fired. I've been fired. I know it. They're going to fire me. And some of us take little things and magnify them, catastrophize them, and make them huge. Avoid that. People who are resilient learn how to back up the panic over what we think is going to be a catastrophe and realize that many things in life really are much smaller and we don't need to project to a terrible end on something. You will be more resilient if you do not expect the worst all the time. The fourth thing I would say a choice you can make is to practice self-care. Practice self-care. Now that sounds like a really ooey-gooey kind of a word, but the fact is that resilient people have learned to understand that unrelenting stress can, over time, warp your perspective. It can warp your point of view. If you've just got piles of stress and piles of wounds and piles of disappointment and piles of losses, that over time, your perspective, if you don't challenge it, is going to get a little bit warped, maybe a little bit cynical, a little bit jaded, 
Or as I said, maybe you go to that numb place instead. Or maybe you do something completely different than that, and what you do is you overdo. You overdrink. You overexercise. You overeat. Or you undereat. I mean, we're just people of extremes. And people who have learned to be resilient practice that self-care that understands, hey, it's good to sleep. It's good to eat food that's really nourishing. It's good to move. It's good to be out in nature. It's good to do things that pour life back into me. And so resilient people will carve out a little bit of time every day to take care of themselves so that they're not running on empty all the time. The fifth thing that you can choose to do to become a resilient person is to practice gratitude. And again, that sounds like something you put up on one of those feel-good posters, you know, um, over your bed or next to your desk at work. But let me just tell you this, to find hope again. Hope springs from a grateful heart. Hope springs from a grateful heart. Now, I am not grateful, and I'm not going to pretend otherwise. I am not grateful that my son killed himself. I'm not grateful that he lived for decades with a a severe and serious mental illness. I'm not grateful that I had breast cancer or melanoma and live with the fact that those could come back at any time. I'm not grateful that I was molested and abused and that led to some hiding and and some interest in pornography and confusion in, in who I was and sexuality. And I'm not grateful that Matthew died. But what I'm exploring... It's kind of hard to put into words, and I'll, I, I know I'll stumble through it because it's a bit of a, a, a new self, it's part of, I don't know, it's a new spiritual practice for me, so I don't have it down pat, so I'm going to stumble my way through it. It's something I can just sort of see dimly. But when I think about Jesus Christ and the wounds that he endured, I mean, he, was, he got nails pounded into his hands and his feet. He was beaten unmercifully. There was a a terrible crown of thorns that was crushed down onto his skull. He hung on a cross. A sword pierced his side. I mean, he endured some physical wounds, life-threatening, fatal wounds. But the reality is that the wounds and the scars of Jesus are what gave me life. I wouldn't have life if it were not for the wounds of Jesus. You wouldn't have life. You wouldn't have a spiritual relationship with God. You wouldn't have a Savior without the wounds of Jesus. And so in some very strange way that I can't quite grasp, the wounds of Jesus are beautiful. They're beautiful. And when I combine the wounds and the scars that I have experienced with his. Because see, he's in me and I'm in him. Our lives are inextricably mixed together now because he's my savior. And so when my wounds and my, my pains and the scars and the, the lashes, the deaths, the horrible, traumatic things, when I bring those to Jesus and they're absorbed into his losses, I can be grateful that maybe over time, maybe some of my wounds will also bring beauty to the lives of other people. I don't quite know how that works, but I'm willing to believe it does. 
I'm willing to believe that when you bring the wounds and the scars and the trauma and the violence and the abuse and the eating disorder and the self-harm and the depression that leads you to feel like you are not going to make it, and you bring all those places where you've been betrayed, the people who should have loved you and didn't love you well, the deaths of the people that you couldn't prevent them from leaving. When we bring all of that into that relationship that we have with Jesus, I do believe with grateful hearts he will produce beauty that will actually bring life to other people. The sixth thing that you can choose to do, you can decide as you sit here today, you can decide that nothing has the power to destroy you. Nothing. You can declare this over yourself. I have declared this over myself. I can't declare it for you, but you can declare it over yourself based on what you know of God and what he has said. You may get knocked down. You may get knocked down. But this pain, this agony, this suffering is not going to win. And you can decide it. Years ago, before Matthew died, I knew he was suicidal. I knew that there was a chance that I might lose him someday. And all of my fears of what if, what if, what if, and I can't do it, I began to believe that God would help me through, but I wasn't sure that I wouldn't just be a shell of a person afterwards. And I began to declare, nothing is going to destroy me. I may be devastated. I may be knocked down, but I will not be destroyed. I have declared that over my life. And we become more than conquerors. The beauty that has been stolen from you, the beauty of your innocence, the beauty of your trust, the beauty of your compassion, the beauty of of who you are may have been stolen by those who had evil designs, those who meant to harm you. You have lost some beauty in your life. But you can choose to not let any of it destroy you. And so I want you to look again at Romans 8, 35, 37 to 9 and listen to it through that lens of a, de- of a declaration of not allowing anything to destroy you. Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, for I am convinced, and he, it's, it's right there, he doesn't say it, but he's declaring, I declare that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is what it means to be a conqueror. That is what it means to be a resilient person. But Paul doesn't just say that we're conquerors. He says that we can become more than conquerors. Well, first of all, what does it mean to be a conqueror? I mean, you either conquer or you don't. You either win or you lose. And so if you and I are going to be conquerors to begin with, the way that we conquer what has happened to us is we do not give in to the attempt of our enemy to separate us from the 
intimacy of our walk with God. That is his number one, that is his tool, that is his goal, is to separate you from your intimacy with God. If Satan can use what has happened to you and make your heart grow cold toward God, to make you wonder if he's a good God, if you live in that place of how God could you have allowed that to happen, how could you have allowed that to happen to me, how could you have allowed that to happen to my loved one, that's okay to ask those questions. But if you stay right there in that place, then over time you will be separated from the intimacy of the love relationship that you have with God, the love relationship that you have through Jesus Christ. And if that has happened, if you are separated, if you begin to believe maybe he exists but he's not good and he can't be trusted, you can't be intimate with somebody that you don't trust. And so that that relationship with God, it stays, but it's not intimate. And in that case, our enemy has won as we have suffered. So we are conquerors when we say, I refuse to let trouble or death or persecution or stonings or beatings or what's to come or what's behind me or what I don't know is ahead. I refuse to let any of that destroy me and I refuse to let it destroy my intimacy with God. We become conquerors. But how do we become conquerors? More than conquerors, because Paul goes beyond that. He says, you can be more than conquerors. How do, you, how do you become more than a conqueror? I think that when we take that declaration of I will not let anything destroy me, and in fact, take one step further and say, I, in fact, will let what has happened to me, I will let these scars and these wounds and these broken places and these aches and these longings in my soul, I will let these become part of a work that transforms me into the image of Jesus. We become more than conquerors, because we end up laughing at the very thing that tried to bury us. In the losses that I've experienced, particularly in the loss of my son, I have had the opportunity and continue to have the opportunity to bring my broken heart to God and allow him to make me more kind. I allow him to make me more compassionate, more merciful, more full of justice, more full of empathy, for others who suffer. And so rather than that thing that was meant to bury me, beauty begins to emerge. Other people's lives are encouraged. Other people find strength for what they go through. And what was meant to make me bitter and angry and numb and stay in my bed with the covers over my head, instead becomes something that makes me more like Jesus. And in that way, you and I can become more than conquerors. When the thing that was meant to destroy you becomes something that serves you, and serves that transformational process that God is looking to do in each of us, We become more than conquerors. And because of his transforming work deep within us, we can say, I say to you, I am still standing. And with God's power and God's grace working in me, I will not let anything destroy me. I am on my way to that final day in Revelation 2, 21, 6. Because there will be a day when beauty will be restored fully, completely, completely, 
And all sad things will become untrue. And on that day, he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. And there shall be no more death and no more sorrow and no more crying and no pain. All of that will be gone forever and beauty will reign again. So, hold on, my brothers. Hold on, my sisters. Don't be surprised at how life, how hard it is here. It's hard. Life is hard here. Don't be surprised as though something strange is happening to you. Life is hard. Know that God has equipped you. He has given you a savior who wants to be your dearest friend, your mentor, your guide. He's working deep in your heart to transform you into the image of his son. He's given you a new mind. He's given us his word as that light on our dark pathways. So that, so that as we blend and absorb our pain into the sufferings of Jesus, beauty is happening. Others' lives are encouraged. Other people are encouraged to hold on. And together, we walk hand in hand to that day when beauty will be restored and hope will be our song. Pray with me. God, I thank you for the men and the women, for the students, for people of every age. You've gathered a, a family here whose lives are intertwined with each other and intertwined with yours. God, if we could be really honest, there would probably be many who would say that the darkness is their only companion. I pray that we will begin to live lives of more than conquerors, that we will not let anything, we will declare it, that we will not let anything destroy us, that with your help, We will get through whatever life brings. We will reach out to those around us. We will have faith that you are working. We will allow you to transform us. We will become like your son, Jesus. That in so doing, we'll encourage each other to keep holding on with hope. For any God who just find that too much today, I pray that he or she will reach out, that they will talk to someone else, that they will tell them what they're feeling, and that they will receive the comfort and the assurance that they are not alone on this journey. Do your good work in us and through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's show our gratitude to Kay Warren. You know, that's probably one of the most important talks we've had here in our church community. And I hope you get to hear it again and um, spread it to friends who desperately need hope. And it comes with such authority from her life, one who has lived it, survived, and uh, flourished at serving others. And she has not given up. And that's our message for us all. Don't give up whatever you're going through. Um, Do know that, just a reminder, everybody, all of our sermons you can hear again on our website. Give us a couple days to edit. You can hear them. You can see them, video, and, uh, or you can read them. Oh, no, it won't be read for this one. But, um, and then also, during Hawaiian Islands Ministries, the conference just ended. She headlined the mental health conference. Um, I would highly suggest you go to the HIM website and consider ordering those two talks. One is an hour-long interview that I do with her where she really expresses a lot of great teaching, and then she did a talk yesterday to close the conference, which was very helpful. So you might want to consider that. Also, um, Dr. Dan Moorhead 
um, gave a wonderful foundation about mental health, gave several talks, and we'll try to get that on the website for HIM also, if that would be um, available to you all. Um, please stand for the closing blessing. And uh, there may be some people here who really want to pray with someone right now, be prayed for. Our prayer team will be in front of the cross and in that corner. And so please con- take advantage of that ministry. They will hold your issue in confidentiality, whether spiritual, emotional, or physical. Please come up for prayer and um, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart all of the love and grace and strength that comes from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. You can and will find hope again as long as you remain grounded and anchored in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Prayers website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prayers on Twitter and Facebook. Download the brand new First Prayers app. Watch First Press Sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Press, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2018 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.